the Own Your Intuitive podcast is for the creatives, spiritual entrepreneurs, and light workers in the world. The shining ones who have been told to dim their light and stop believing in magic. I say screw that. The time to rise is now to bring your gifts out into the world in a big way, creating a business that feeds your soul and your bank account. You are a magical being with the potential to change the world, one human at a time. The time for you to own your intuitive is now. Hey everybody, I am so excited about today's podcast interview. Just to give you an idea is that yesterday I sat with two of my team members, Fiona and Corey, and in one moment they shared this one person's name with so much love and an intention and just like absolute buy-in to what this human is standing for and that was yesterday and already today I'm having them on the podcast because this person his name is Gord Melville and he is here to create meaningful connection for 10 million men in 24 months with a message of hope now I'm gonna have Gord explain even more what this is about but Gord thank you so much for coming on the podcast today oh thank you so much for having me it's awesome very excited to be here. So can you explain this mission that you have a little bit more deeply? Absolutely. So, so as a suicide survivor, that I connect really tight with that mental philosophy. And as a performance guy and, and an energizer bunny for a long time where just it's go, 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 go. And you look after everybody else first. And so uh, I didn't look after myself. I, I ignored the signs my body was giving me. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to any of that. And eventually my body went, I'm out. So in September, 2015, I was bedridden almost a full two years. Um, my, my ensuite, our ensuite in our bed, in our bedroom is probably 20 feet from the bed. And I would fall two or three times just trying to get to the bathroom. I just couldn't, there was no energy. My body just, it just literally shut down on me. So self-care became a monster, huge thing. And then, and then as I, in that two years, because if you take the Energizer Bunny and force them not to move, it gets dark in a hurry. And I didn't know where to turn. And I didn't know, I didn't want to out myself. I was in the financial world. No one's going to give their money to a suicidal guy. So I'm like, oh, I can't tell anybody. So I went through it. I, I, and, I, and I think, uh, Papa, I, I didn't succeed. Uh, but what that means going forward is that I understand how, as a man, because we, as men, women seem to, to be all right with that. If I asked you, how are you doing? You're going to tell me. But if I ask a man, how are you doing? They're going to go, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Whether they are or not, right? Because we, as guys, we want to put our emotion in a box and we put it on the shelf and we go, I, I don't want to deal with that. And then we drink or we smoke or we do drugs or we gamble or we do some, something else to try and deal with those emotions. And so what I want, what I, what I found for myself was I didn't know where to turn and I didn't, know what to do. So I look at that now and go, you know what, as much as I wouldn't want to go through that again, I wouldn't change it in my life either because it gave me a brand new perspective. And what it's done is equip me in a very unique way to be able to discuss with credibility and understanding and actual empathy because I've been in that situation. I know how that feels to be able to reach out to guys, suicide all over the place, both men and women, not just, not just guys. But um, because women tend to be a little more in touch with their feelings than men are, I've, I've focused on the guys. And being a guy, uh, that always helps, right? Uh, but um, so what I did was say, you know what, I have to do something about this. And the, the linchpin of that for me, uh, for to make it a definite major purpose and it really crystallize it, 
was a friend of mine, one of the co-hosts of Mo Mondays, one of the one of my friends that that uh, colleagues that works with me, um, is a policeman in Waterloo Region, and the four he was telling us about the fourth or fifth policeman in Waterloo Region that had committed suicide just this year, and I'm like, that's got to stop. We there has to be a way to deal with this. So I said, you know what? Um, I've always been a big go big or go home type guy, and you set the goal as high as you can, and then when you think it's high, ten times it, ten exit. So my brain went, you know what, that sounds like a big number, but there's almost 8 billion people on the planet, half of which would be men. So 10 million really isn't that big. And most of my, most of the people I'm talking to and the, the impression I get from not just people I'm talking to about this, but even, even from Papa, and I call God Papa because of my relationship with him. But um, I get the impression that 10 million is going to be the launch point. That's not the, right at the moment, it's the target, that's the mission. But I think, believe that's going to be the, that's the jump point. So it's not going to be 10 million. It's going to be 100 million or 3 billion. It's, we're going to try and touch as many as we can. But what I want to do with them is give them. Uh, so we, I do a workshop called Boxed Inside Out. So for the logical reason, right? We put our guys put the emotion in a box. So I want to take the box away. It's not outside the box thinking. It's remove the box, eradicate the box. Just deal with the emotion, right? So I want to give them tools and strategies that they can use to deal with it themselves, the stress and anxiety and the depression and all that stuff. And if they can't, if they can't get there on their own, then I want to be able to give them resources globally. So if they're in the UK, they're in Australia, they're in somewhere in Africa, they're in the US. I want to be able to give them resources that are local to them there that they can reach out to that can help them get where, get the help that they need so that they don't end up in the suicide space. And they can do that without outing themselves. Most of those, most of those organizations, you don't have to tell anybody necessarily. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to out yourself, right? That's the biggest thing is trying to find space. As a guy, I want, I, well, I think it's the same for women, but you guys seem to generate that space naturally, right? There's a, there's a, if I sit down with a woman, uh, there's usually a, a level of trust and a level, a baseline of trust and love that's there regardless. And not, not romantic, not an I want you love, right. a human, right? right? Acceptance and whatnot. So you create that for each other. Guys don't create that for each other, right? We just walk up to each other. We're even, even if we've been good friends, we don't do that with each other typically. So what I'm finding, I'm a, and I don't know if they told you that, I'm a big hug guy. So even in a Me Too movement environment, I'm still, you know what? It's not, a, it's not a sexual I love you. It's a human, I care and I love you as a human. It doesn't matter what you, what you look like. It doesn't matter what you believe. It, none of that, I don't think any of that really matters. At the end of the day, I'm not here to judge any of that. I'm here to just love people. And it's the weirdest thing because I'll hug them and I, I hug and then you feel their body limp, goes limp like they're going to let go and I don't let go. And audibly, it's the weirdest thing audibly men or women or children even you hear them audibly in my ear go oh a real hug it's the but even guys will do that you hear them almost purring like it's almost uh do you know what i mean because they haven't yeah. had either it's been a long time since they've had a hug like that or it's but that human connection and and going so when i if i was hugging you i would i would go to your let's see from way i'm looking at you i would go to your right right? So that my, my heart is over top of your heart because it's all energy, right? So if I can hug you heart to heart, that energy comes through and people feel they don't, a lot of times they can't identify why they don't understand what's actually happening. 
I know what's happening, but they don't understand. But what they get that overwhelming feeling of he cares, he loves me, this is a safe space. And I want to be able to give that to, to guys in particular. The, I, I had a, my marketing guy do a, a poster for me that I posted on Facebook. And he's like, we were, we were putting it all together. And he's like, Gord, there's some of the people that are on this poster. It's my event. I'm the main keynote speaker. But uh, Tony Robbins and Grant Cardone and John Maxwell and Darren Hardy and uh, Armin Shafi are some of the, the guest speakers on this thing. And we're, we, we do up this. It's a professional poster. And then at the bottom, when he was putting all the details on, he said, where is it? I said, Webley Stadium. He goes, where? I said, it's in the UK. It holds 100,000 people. It's a soccer stadium. They call it football, but it's soccer stadium for us. Um, but I'm going to fill it with men. And he's like, okay, what's the date? And I said, December 17, 2022. And he's like, wait a second, wait a second. This isn't even, what, what the hell? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm going to print it and blow it up and put it on my wall in my bedroom so that I focus on it. Hey, this is, and that, again, that's not the goal. That's the launch point. That's that those hundred thousand men will represent the 10 million men we will have contacted and connected with over, over the, those 24 months. So it's trying to get that message out as fast as I can in as many ways as I can. Um, however I can, whether it's in the book, whether it's in, in podcasts like this with you, I've been on TV a couple of times. I've been on radio. It's just sort of exploded. And, the more people I tell, the more people that go, I want to get involved. How do I get involved? So that's incredible. That's and from a side note, I personally have been working in a women's group for a long time. Like I run a women's group and recently I, I launched um, a group for men only. And so okay. I do understand that there is a significant difference how men have freedom to speak and have women speak. And I witnessed this in the way that they show up and the, the, like I've actually had men in my group literally say, I've never had a place like this where I yeah. can share and, exactly. and open up or have my feelings looked at like this. So I completely right. understand what you're talking about, yeah. but I'm, I want to kind of go back a little bit because I'm going to go back, back. Well, first from what I've heard, Gord is like, <laughs> You know, you were bedridden from 2015 to 2017. Mm -hmm. You reached this pinnacle of, you know, suicide attempt and, and failure. Right. That was only two years ago. How do you go from that low to creating this massive mission where, you know, you're kind of taking the world by storm? Well, you know what? It's kind of an interesting thing because if I, if I run that story all the way back, um, I was blessed early on in my, I got into sales, into the car industry, automobile industry years and years and years ago. And um, I spent more than 25 years in that industry. But early on, I was blessed to have. How been, early on? Can you give me a, an age? Um, I would have been uh, early 20s. So 21, 22 ish. Right. Then that range. Right. And, um, but I, I, I did very well in the car business. I did very well uh, selling, but I was using Grant Cardone's theologies and technology sales process and, and it worked phenomenally well. So then I was headhunting with us for those like, what? Oh, oh, Grant's. Oh, that's, that would take, that, that's a would fight. It take that, long? Okay. Yeah, that, that would take a while. But the, the concept is just, uh, instead of fighting people, instead of doing this, you just sort of lay back and go, you know what, uh, I'll, I'll give you whatever it is you want. Instead of instead, people come in and say, what's the price? I give them a price instead of, instead of, and it, it, arbitrarily you can't just sort of spew out the number because anybody can do that. But it's a, it's a process of how you approach that 
to be able to talk the way the customers are thinking, right? You want right. to talk the way they're thinking and, and have, uh, the, again, I was uh, even heart centric then in terms of wanting, you know, I just want to help, right? It right. wasn't about getting paid even. It was about making sure you get the right car that you need for your stuff. But, right. but I was, but then his organization and the guy that was looking after him at the time asked me to come and teach and to share and to sell grant stuff across North America. Okay. So then I was in every major city you can think of in the U.S. and Canada. But during that time, um, the, the gentleman that I was working for had put Zig Ziglar on his first stage. So nobody knew who Zig was until Bob got a hold of him. So we had unbridled access to Zig Ziglar. So it makes me smile and giggle every time I hear people say, and I say it, uh, I can have anything I want as long as I help enough other people get what they want. When Zig said that to me, he had eggs running down, like egg yolk running. He was, we were having breakfast. A bunch of us were having breakfast. So, and he said that to me, right, with this, with this yolk running down his chin. So, uh, but anyway, because of that, Zig hooked us up to a, a lot of other people. And so all the, the major people you can think about in the, in the personal development world, um, Jim Rohn and Tony and, and John Maxwell and Les Brown, all these iconic brutally iconic, massive, massive um, people in that environment. And so, so doing personal development for a long time, um, he told us we should be journaling. I've been journaling for all close to 30 years. He said you should be reading four to six books a month. I've been reading four to six books a month for all close to 30 years. Um, he is two conferences a year, so I've been doing that. The point is I've been doing personal development at a really high level for a long time. So when, so anybody that I, and I was a, a performance guy, still a performance guy. So anybody that found out about the, since the suicide attempt, anybody that talks about that or that I bump into and it goes, they'll say to me, I'm so sorry you went through that. I, you know, I wish I'd have known, but it doesn't surprise me based on the, who you were. I was just a driven go, 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 go guy. It doesn't surprise them that, that it got to that. Well, and I mean, can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah, here? yeah. Because yeah. I can almost hear my listeners right now who are like, hey, but the dude did personal development for 30 years. You would right. think that that would deter most people from ending up in the position right. that you were in. So right. what led to, you know what I mean, the yeah. fallout? Was it just how much you were going? Yeah, it, it's a combination of not paying. Like when I say I was down um, – during that, the, those two years, I was diagnosed with uh, state, uh, type 2 diabetes, um, um, well, obviously depression, uh, clinical depression, which I didn't quite understand at the time, um, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis. There was a, a bunch of different things. that So I was losing blood. There was, there was a lot of stuff going on that, that was influencing that. So um, when I asked about the clinical depression in specifically, the doctor said this is not situational so the doing all the personal development part of that probably kept me in this space that's part of the reason I'm still here is because my brain was going no no I have to find because there were days I would wake up and go I can't get out of bed I know I need to I want to I I have to I'm working I have three three sons and a wife at the time didn't work if I don't go out and do my job we don't have so I have to do this and I just couldn't do it so but part of the, but I would lay in bed first thing in the morning when I felt like that, and I would send out tech. Literally, I would go through my my messenger and my my feeds, and I would just reach out to people, 
randomly and I'd send 60 or 80 of these things out and I would just go, you know what? I was thinking about you. I hope you're having a great day. Talk to you soon. And it made, that made me feel better because it was putting that positive energy out. And a third of those people usually would come back and go, Hey, we haven't talked in forever. I hope you're doing good. But, but that made me feel better. It didn't get me out of bed, but it made, it kept me, it kept me here. Eventually that gets, it gets so dark so fast. And, and what, and the actual experience, um, it doesn't matter what I did. The point is I remember laying on the bathroom floor and I was crying and I'm, I'm, I hear my wife was at work. The kids were at school. So there was nobody in the house and audibly I hear a voice say, what are you doing? This is not, this is not the legacy you want to leave for your family. This is not the, you want your boys to come home from school and find you like, really? This is, this is, and I'm like, it scared me because I was like, oh, number one, who's in my house? And number two, um, um, what, why are they questioning what's going on? And who are they to question what's going on? And they, I still say that was Papa in the moment talking to me, right? And so as I'm looking out into the hallway outside the bathroom, I see our family picture on the wall outside the bathroom. And I, and, and the, this voice is saying to me, this is what, those are the four people do. This is why you don't want to do what you're doing. The, they count on you. This is not, and it's not a, that's not a judgment thing. It's a, you know what, they, they want you to be here. The problem is in the moment you're convinced, because that's the thing I had always said, why don't people just reach out? The problem is in the moment you're convinced that they're better off without you here. So you're not reaching out. Why would you do that? It's counterproductive to what you're trying to do. So, so when I hear this from this voice, this is the reason you don't want to do this. It scared me. And I, I sat up and I figured myself out and I stopped the process of what was happening. But then I cleaned it all up and went back to bed. So I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell my, I, nobody knew. I didn't admit to myself that it had happened. Gord, can you share the means in which you were choosing? Yeah. I used pills and alcohol. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, I, uh, luckily, luckily. So I still maintain um, that if 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 you could interview people after they've tried, successful or not, successful. Obviously, we could we could interview. If we can't, if they're not here, then we can't. Um, sadly, but I still maintain probably more than sixty-five or seventy percent of those people would have changed their mind. The problem is the the method they chose you jump off a bridge, you're on your way. There's even if you change your mind, there's nothing you can do to stop the outcome. Right. I was blessed to have chosen a method that could be stopped. And, and, and I did. And so the, uh, but I, I, uh, I'm going to come back to that in a second. Remind me about tattoo. So, but in the moment, so I didn't realize in the moment what was happening and, and how significant it was. So, it took, once I got healthy, um, almost a year after I got healthy, a friend of mine asked me to write an article for her online magazine. Topic was mental health. And I said, yeah, I think I can do that. So I like to write. It just takes me forever. So I had gone to this uh, author's workshop, and they had done a, a little meditation, a lead meditation, before we started to write. And it made it way easier. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. So I sat down on my computer, and I did a little meditation for myself. And I started to write, well, what came out was that story. And it scared me because I'm like, I, I, I haven't talked about it in a year. I, have, I, I haven't even mentioned it. I didn't, like I said, I didn't even admit to me that it had happened. 
and it came out. So I let it sit for a week and then I came back to it and I played with it a little bit. I let my wife read it because I figured I should do that before I put it online for the world to see. Um, so she read it, but then, but then it got published. And then because of that, I was asked to write a chapter in an anthology, same type of story. And I'm like, okay, so I did that. The thing is, it, it helped to let it out, but, but putting it online, I was still hiding behind the screen. And when I wrote it in the book, I'm still, when they're reading it, I'm not in front of them. So they're reading my words, but I'm not actually putting that out there audibly for the universe to feel and to, to resonate. So because of the second book, uh, because of that first book, I was asked to do a, to speak at them on Mondays. That was, I had been going for a long time, but I hadn't ever spoken. And so that was January, 2018. And I, I spoke out loud in front of my family and some of my work colleagues and a bunch of strangers and some friends, I said out loud what had happened. That was the first time in public I'd ever, ever, ever. And it was the weirdest thing because it, it clicked something in the universe switched and it, because there were three guys, three good friends of mine that weren't in the room that night that called me the week after and said, Hey, can we sit down and talk? And I'm like, sure. The one gentleman, 10, 15 years older than me, a good friend, a mentor that had that always been a mentor for me, um, was sitting at my kitchen table blubbering about some of the things that were going on in his life and the big things he was working. And, and, and so my, my point is because I had said that outed myself audibly, that energy went out into, and it, things started to shift. Something else that shifted for me or that I became aware of when I spoke at Mo Mondays. I'd been through this story, obviously, the first time. I'd been through it to write it for the magazine, and I'd been through it to write it for the chapter in the book. And I, I don't know why. I, when I speak, usually I, I'm not a big, um, well, let's say if I was a golfer, I would be a grip it and rip it type golfer. I just write, how long do you want me to talk? What's the topic? Yep, yeah, no problem. And away I go. I don't normally do a lot of prep. For some reason, for that, that talk, I did some prep. And I was coming into our bedroom. The, the bathroom is on the right side. The left side has a his and his closet. And I say that because I have 30 suits and my wife has no clothes. So they're not that would fill a closet. So anyway, but these closets are butted right up against each other. There's no room on that wall for a picture. Our oh. family pictures never hung on that wall. So what was I seeing? In the moment, Papa was showing me what I needed to see to hit the right heartstring to stop me from doing what I was doing, which I think is, for me, that has, I guess it still gives me goosebumps because it, something about that tells me, okay, it's not your time. You, you have more to do. There's bigger things that are happening. You need to, there's something else that you need to say. So when I say tattoo, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. So some people know. It's a semicolon. That's right. So I tend to be heart-centric, so it's a heart instead of a dot. Yeah. But um, when I found that out, the and so for people that don't know, um, authors use a semicolon when they could have put a period, but they had more to say. So in my life, so semicolon is universal sign for for suicide survivor because I could have put a period in my life. I, I almost did. Um, but there was more for me to say. So, and I put it on the inside of my right wrist 
so that when I shake hands with people, anybody that knows what that is instantly feels connection, instantly knows they got a safe space. And I, I've been blown away with the number of people that when they shake my hand, they're like, ah, oh, they know instantly what that is. And so that's sort of, that's sort of spearheaded. The other thing that had sort of happened in the middle of that, in terms of how did it go from really dark to, to, to big stuff, is that I started to study, and I, I've read Think and Grow Rich a bunch, the book. I've read it. I know, I heard you say definite major purpose. So I'm like, definite oh, we've got purpose. a Think and Grow Richer. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, I do, we do, uh, Napoleon Hill did uh, corporate sales. Uh, when he first started out, that's how he made a living. Yeah. So I do corporate sales and marketing for the TGR Institute, the Think and Grow Rich Institute out of Toronto with Satish Verma. So you Verma. know Satish Verma? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah, him. Love Satish. Oh, he's a good man. He is a great man. And so, so learning to, to, um, that's become a big thing in my life in the last little bit. And so, uh, using some of those principles and going, you know what, this I need to have. And he kept pushing me, Gord, you need to have a, D, a DMP. And I'm like, okay, I didn't understand. I've done some stuff with multi-level marketing in the past and direct sales. And they always talked about your why you need a big why that makes you cry. And I'm like, that's crap. I don't need a big word. Like, I'd never understood that. That didn't make any sense to me. Once I do understand TGR and I understand DMP, DMP is absolute. Having your definite major purpose is so critical to getting to where you want to go. Because if, if it's just a, even if you write your goals down, I, I've written my goals down. I love writing my goals down. But there needs to be emotion attached to them, first of all. And secondly, that's only one level. That's the base level. It goes from goals to definite major purpose to vision. So I need to have a vision, but then I need a definite major purpose. So my illustration for DMP is always definite major purpose is always the movie Taken. So Liam Neeson, at the beginning of the movie, they take his daughter. Does anything in the movie, if you've seen the movie, if you haven't seen the movie, if does anything in the movie, does anything stop him from getting his daughter back? No. Nothing stop, like nothing stops him, not, not friends, relatives, the law, like he hurts people, he breaks the law, he kills, like nothing will stop him from getting his daughter back, period. End of sentence, mic drop, done. And, and right, so if, if that's what our definite major purpose, if it's like that inside us and we go, you know what, nothing will stop me from getting where I want to go, nothing, then it doesn't matter what anybody says, if they agree with me or disagree with me or they like or dislike, I don't care. It doesn't mean anything to me. There's no bearing whatsoever on what I'm going to get done. So when people say to me, 10 million, that's a lot. I go, that's the jump point. That's the minimum performance standard. That's, that's, not, that's a drop in the bucket to what it's going to be. That's, it sounds huge for most people. And I've had people already go, you know what? You'll never do that. I go, no, excellent. No problem. Thank you for sharing. And I move on with my life because it's, it doesn't matter to me. It, the ones that push back are the ones that are not part of my tribe. So they're just, they're not part of what I'm supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be part of this then. That's great. And the ones that suck onto it are the people that I, I spend time with and that I work with and, and go, you know what? They, they get it. That's my, those are my people. So, and they're helping me to move it forward. So that's, that's a, it becomes a, um, so having that, I think that's the biggest difference. That's the biggest, one of the bigger switches in terms of, how did it go from dark to, to that big? Um, Grant Cardone also has a huge, has had a huge impact on me. So his 10 X stuff. So he always said, you know what, 10 X, whatever it is. He said, the problem isn't that people 10 X their goal. That people, lots of 
they'll do that. And then they get frustrated because they don't achieve whatever it was that, well, it was too big. It wasn't too big. If, you know, they say, well, the sky's the limit. No, it's not. There's footprints on the moon. There's other, there's other places you can go. There's other. So I take what I think I want to do. And then I multiply it by 10. Grant said, it's not the, it, that's not the problem. Having big goals is not the problem. The problem is most people don't 10 X the effort it's going to take to get there. Right. They want to do the same effort, but have 10 times the result. Well, it doesn't work that way. No, it does not work that right? way. So, yeah. so making sure that the definite major purpose is crystallized and written and hard, hard into me was the biggest shift because as soon as I crystallized, literally as soon as I crystallized that, within 24 hours, I had people already approaching me going out of the blue, people I hadn't talked to in forever, already coming and going, hey, can we get together and have coffee? They don't know what I'm thinking. They have no idea what I was thinking, but Papa's already, the universe is already spinning things around and making things work. There's because so the intention was there. <laughs> like, I'm like, there's just so many to ask here. Um, so first of all, I don't know if you know any of my back history, but my mom actually tried to commit suicide twice. So kudos to you okay. because she actually used the same method. Pacing came very, very close, but she definitely has not shifted or changed her perspective on life at all she's heavily medicated she is clinically depressed all of those kinds of things so i do appreciate like it makes me emotional sometimes seeing the possibility on the other side of yeah. of what can happen so i just wanted to like honor you from that perspective as the daughter of somebody um mm. who has gone down that road um the other thing that i want to talk about is you know you say things in passing that i think are really powerful things so you said at the end, like it took me a year to get healthy. Yep. And for those who maybe are in a dark place and maybe they've gone through something similar, what did that year of getting healthy look like? Did that get therapy, medication? Like what did you do to get yourself to the space of taking this, this massive action? Um, well, once I got healthy, it was, I just let myself be me. And that's, that's going to sound a little bit simplistic, but because I was a driven human being to get healthy. Um, yes and no. Some of that stuff. So I was, I have never taken anything for the depression that that's never right. But with my doctor, because there was some other issues with the Crohn's and the colitis and, and the diabetes, she said, let's try and get a handle on, you know, my blood sugars were in the mid twenties. They're supposed to be four to seven. So let's get them in line with where they should be. Let's stop the blood. Let's the, the blood. You have to stop. That has to stop. So we, we got a handle on all those things. So right. I take some medication for some of that. Right. Right. Insulin and whatnot. But, um, but at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing that, that was my mindset. And I think that's the, again, we go back to TGR, right? right. Um, it's all coming from where my, because as much as it infuriates some of the people that I'm talking to and some of my clients in my, my coaching business, you look at them and go, you, because I don't think we want to take ownership as humans. Typically, most people do not want to take ownership of where they're at today. I believe everybody is in where they are. You are where you are based on the choices you've made, good, bad, or otherwise, that have gotten you to the people go, no, 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 my boss is, a, no, 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 wait, 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 you choose to work there. Oh, yeah, but I got bills. I got, no, 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 no. What you're telling me is that the alternative is not, you don't want the alternative. So you're, you're, it's sort of a devil you know as opposed to a devil you don't, that idea. For my husband right. once. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's, it, but it's all about choice. It's all about choosing to have, and when someone's depressed, and I, and I say this very carefully because in the moment, 
I know it's very difficult to choose. I know it is. Um, uh, experientially, I know it is. But what, what I found was when I got some of the other bits and pieces handled, some of the actual ha health problems looked after, it made it much easier to choose. And then I just forced myself to do what I knew I wanted to do, even though I didn't feel like, uh, like I wanted to, if that makes sense. It so does. sometimes, it totally does. right? I have a similar story. Yeah, and I think a lot of people do it on a different level. They, I don't want to get up and go to the gym, but they force themselves to get up and go to the gym. When they come home, they're like, "Yeah, excellent! I went to the gym." They feel like they right, they've accomplished something. The the thing is, if they do that long enough, every day long enough, force themselves, force themselves, force themselves, eventually, uh, and it doesn't take that long. Uh, habit forms very quickly. So, seventeen, twenty-one days. I've heard several different things, but the point is. You do that long enough, eventually it starts to roll in a positive direction. So my focus has always been, I've always been a, a positively focused human, um, which, it, like I say, I, is probably what saved me because I may have tried multiple times in multiple different ways when right. it got that dark if I hadn't. So, well, it's paying attention. So initially they said, some people said to me, you need to pace, P-A-C-E, -P pace. And I was like, what the hell is pace? I had to go to a dictionary. What, what this, I'm used to going 300 miles an hour with my hair on fire always. What is pace? So, but, but what I was finding was all the people that I looked up to and all the people that I wanted to emulate and the, the Tony Robbins and the Grants, and they're not pacing. Branson, they're not pacing. They're running 300 miles an hour with their hair on fire. So what the hell are they doing? It wasn't about pacing. It's about self-care. It's about doing the things you need to do in the moment so that you have the result that you want and and to be up for so tony said to me gord self-care is right at the top of my triangle like nothing comes before my own self-care my not my wife not my kids not the 41 companies nothing nothing comes and i said so how do you i was taught it was selfish to do that and he goes no i don't take time away from all of those things i make the extra time so if that means i got my day is supposed to start at six then I'm getting up at five i'm getting up at four whatever it is i i have to modify it and build the time in Right. So looking and so doing those types of things, I'm doing self-care. He said to me, you've been on thousands of planes. I said, yes. He said, when you first get on, what does the flight attendant say? All in the unlikely event of a cabin depressurization, blah, 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 blah. The oxygen mask will come down from the roof. Put your own on first. Why, why do you put your own on first? Well, if you pass out, you're no good to your kids or your family or you can't help anybody around you. If you pass out, put your own on and then go and help the rest of the people. Look after yourself first. It's not selfish. It's selfish not to. Yes. Right? It's selfish not to look after yourself first because if you don't look after yourself, you're, you're jeopardizing what you can do for anybody else. So, so that, another question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I love questions. <laughs> so one of the things, because you had a 25 to 30-year you know, car salesman, also helping Grant, doing all these things. But you said, I wasn't listening to my body. I wasn't listening to the signs as they were coming at me. Can you share that journey a little bit? Because I know that there are some listeners who, who are caught in the movement and the momentum of their business and their bodies are trying to get a hold of them and right. they aren't listening either. Can you share? I often say there's like a feather. This came from a previous mentor of mine, Amber, you know, it's the feather, the brick, and then the Mack truck. Can right. Exactly. Right. Take us through that. Yeah. Well, um, my mom has, um, has had Crohn's and colitis for a long time. So it's, it's genetic. So she's got a colostomy bag on the outside and they 
take away most of her intestine and sewed up her butt. Like it's, it's extreme. And she always was trying to get me, even as a young guy, she was trying to get me to do something about it, go and have it checked. And 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago now, I guess I, I went and, and I gave in and said, yes, okay, I'll go and have it checked. So I went to her doctor who already had the family history, already knew what was going on. So I did all the nasty tests, if you know anything I about it. Yeah. So I did all those nasty things. And then, excuse me, and then he retired before I got a, uh, a diagnosis. And I was like, oh, crap. So the guy that took over his practice was a young guy, really, really good at what he did. But it took me a year and a half to get in to see him. And when I go in to see him, he goes, these tests are all out of date. I need to do tests again. So I had to go through all those nasty things again. And apparently he was good at what he did because they transferred him to Vancouver again before I got a diagnosis. And I went, you know what? I'm out. I'm not doing it again. I'm just going to assume I have that's the thing I have. And I'll, I'll take my lumps as they come. So back then it wasn't as intrusive as it is as it got to. Um, because eventually if I didn't eat properly through a day and I didn't look after, which was really difficult to do because once I was running dealerships, um, and traveling and doing all these other things, it made it really hard to keep on a schedule of eating properly and taking care of myself or whatever. I didn't, I didn't look after myself and I would do a thing where I would not eat through the day. I would eat, I would drink Gatorade or I would drink, um, I'd start my day sometimes with three or four, um, um, double shot, double shots from, um, yeah, espresso. So two shots of espresso with some cream and sugar. I would start my day with like six or eight shots of espresso. Right. So, and then all this Gatorade and then I would eat at night. Well, as soon as I ate within 20 minutes, half an hour, I was in a bathroom because it had literally just straight gone through me. So, and I just ignored it. I just went, you know what? I, I took my lumps and said, this is what it is. I ate what I want and I did what I want and went, you know what, whatever happens, it happens. Which is not the right way to do it, by the way. Just, just, no. to, put, just to put that out there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eventually, I started to lose blood from place guys should not be losing blood, and it got up to a major amount of blood, debilitating amount of blood. So they, during that first, uh, during that first year, when they diagnosed, okay, so it's, you've got Crohn's, you've got ulcerative colitis in here. That's why you're losing the blood. So they, I was on a massive dose of iron to try and offset the amount of blood loss. And we figured it out and we did some things to um, medicine-wise to figure that out. But I was losing that blood. Uh, the one time I remember, um, that was in Chatham. Um, luckily, one of, my, one of my employees knew what was going on and understood IBS and all that kind of thing. So um, uh, I... I was, there was a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and I didn't know how to get rid of any of that because I didn't know what I know now. So I didn't know what to do with that. And I internalized it and just pushed it down inside myself and just held it right. Well, it's going to come out somewhere, right? When I put that into my body, um, people go, well, I've got diseases. Yeah. Well, that's dis ease in your body. Right. And it's going to come out somehow. And if you push it down or don't deal with it, it's going to come out in some ugly way. So that particular day, um, I hadn't eaten, hadn't eaten, hadn't eaten. I had a couple pieces of pizza. 20 minutes later, I was in the bathroom. She knew I was in the bathroom. And when I came out, she came to my desk, into my office, and she said, are you all right? I don't remember that conversation. And apparently, I made no sense. And she's like, you need to go to the hospital, like, right now. And I, I found out later I had lost, like, a quarter of a cup of blood in the bathroom 
Um, it, it, it was it was bad. Anyway, I begged her. It was Thanksgiving weekend, and I said, "Please, please, please! I've got a house full of guests. I have to go home." And she goes, "No, no, I I need to take you to emerge." And I'm like, "No, no, please, just take me home." So she did. She took me home. She had a conversation with my wife. This is what happened. And I slept most of the weekend, and I felt horrible. But um, I should have gone to emerge. That's what it, that she should have just taken me to emerge. Um, but anyway, the point is, I it's in the face of that. I still went, yeah, whatever. But, uh, and I think sometimes there's lots of people like that. Guys tend to be, at least my experience has been, and I has always been, if, unless I cough up a lung, I'm not going to a hospital, right? Unless I, unless it's something massively, if, if you weren't uh, seeing the massive amount of blood loss from what I am guessing when you say from a plant man, it was coming from your man part. Yes. That, that, that didn't seem as significant no. as coughing up a lung. No, no. And you know why? Because I'd gotten used to it. So you know what? As humans, we just get used to it. If I put a, if I put a frog in a pot of cool water and put it, stand him up on a little ledge so he sticks out of the water a little bit, but most of his body is under the water, and I turn the stove on, put the pot on the stove and turn it to low, it starts to get a little bit warm and the frog's brain goes, you know what? That's a little, that's no big deal. I can deal with that. And it gets a little warmer. Yeah, I can deal with that. And it gets warmer. Yeah, I can deal with that. Eventually, it's, oh, my God, it's hot. But you've, they're, they're already cooked, and now they can't move. Right. But we do that in life. We, we sit there and go, you know what? I, I, it just the, You don't get big, big shifts, right? If that had been the only thing that had happened, and all of a sudden, I probably would have done something about it because it was completely different than what I was used to. Right. Right? But because I was used to losing little bits and little bits and little bits, and I just got used to, you know what? It's just like every other time. No big deal. <laughs> Right. And it's amazing what you can get used to if you put yourself in those positions long enough. And we hear stories all the time about people that have put themselves or been been put into situations that they would were just horrific. But so it was you were it. normalizing what was not normal. Exactly right. Yes. And for long periods of time. Right. Not just yes. a little bit. Yeah. Right. So. So, yeah. And, and like I say, it just ig ignoring. And it's not that you want to be at the hospital all the time with Dr. Ron. You know, I don't want to be a. You know, every time I even read something about something, I'm like, oh, that's what I've got. I've got to go to the doctor. It's not like that. But it's, 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 it's if I look after myself, I don't have those challenges. If I do my self-care, if I, if I drink the water I know I'm supposed to do and exercise and sleep and all the things I know I'm supposed to do, sleep's the one I struggle with, by the way, transparency. I'm a night hawk. So a lot of times it's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. But if I'm getting, especially with um, a definite major purpose like this, I get all wound up and excited. And I'm go, 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 go. And then when my brain goes, okay, it's time to go to sleep. It's 1.30, it's 2 o'clock. I'm wound up. So I get in bed and I lay there with my eyes wide open for an hour, hour and a half. And eventually I'm frustrated. So then I get up and just, well, then it's 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning before I actually get tired enough to sleep. So that's that's the hardest one for me is the sleep part. But it, but struggles can be different for everybody. Some right. I do want to just touch on really quick for the majority of the population, though. Like, if we see blood anywhere, that's an right. indicator Absolutely. to go to any Absolutely. doctor or Absolutely. like hospital yes. or anything. Blood equals Absolutely. bad. Yes. Disclaimer. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. Right. So I know we're telling the story. Like, yeah, it's cool, man. Like, we can just ignore that and like no, whatever. You can't it's ignore cool. that. <laughs> it's do like, not ignore that. Yes. Big red flag should go up. Yeah. Oops, right. That's not right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because at that point, did you know you were diabetic? No. So we like, because no. when you said you, you didn't like, I know you'd lost a quarter cup of blood, but it sounded too a little bit like you were having um, oh, yeah. 
a yeah. sugar. Well, right. Well, that's what the doctor said when she finally figured it, that stuff out. She goes, you're losing blood, so your iron level is low. You're diabetic, so your, your insulin level is completely out of whack. So you would have no energy from the low iron. You'll have no energy because of the diabetes. How the hell do you get out of bed in the morning? And I'm like, uh, that's the point. I'm not getting out of bed in the morning. And if there's situations that, that are negative, the normal things that would make people depressed or whatever, right? Struggles at work or whatever it is, right? Money challenges, whatever it is, that just makes it even worse. That just deepens all of that. That's, that's laying on top. Because my, I, I, what, I, what I believe is um, I can, happiness and joy are two completely different challenges. Those are two completely different items. And people try to, to, to correlate them or put them together and, and conflate them. And I, I don't think you can. I think I can be, I have joy is deep inside. Joy is something that's always there. So my positive attitude is that joy that's always sort of, it's always inside me. And, and I'm always looking at the bright side and I'm always trying to find a positive spin and I'm always pivoting in that kind of a direction. But so happiness usually is tied to a happening. So it's a situational thing, right? So in the moment, you know, I get a flat tire. Am I happy about that? No, but it doesn't mean my joy goes away, right? It's just a bump in the road. It's a, it's a blip in the, no big deal. I'll deal with it. Pivoting to be able to have a perception pivot to understand, okay, so that was a, is a, is a flat tire a good thing? No. Is it fun? No. Are there positive things? Sure. I got to understand how CAA works or I figure out how my, my spare works, or I figure out how to take a tire off and put it back. And I already knew because of the car business, but it, that would give me a, 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 equip me again, right? So if I go back to perception pivoting in terms of my suicide attempt, I, I can say that was horrible and I would, it, it was, and I'm not, I'm not diminishing that in any way. I don't want to take away from that in any way. What I, I do want to do is go, it was part of my journey. It's yeah. part of this story and it's equipped me in a unique way to be able to help people that would never have been there. Otherwise yeah. I keep saying to my wife, I need to go back to all the people that had ever called in sick at work and said, Hey, I, I can't be there today. I just can't put my feet on the floor. And I'm like, what are you talking about? How hard is that? Lazy, lazy, just put your feet on the floor and get out of bed. Once it, exp I experienced that I go, okay, I get it. I get it. I need to go back and apologize to all those people because uh, I, I didn't have, I can have, there's sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is I, I kind of understand. Empathy is I've been there. So I know, right? Yeah. Um, I, I make the equation. I've always sort of made that equation. I don't want to be a travel agent. I want to be a travel guide. Can I ask you a really random question that's going to seem kind of out of left field, but it's something I want to know. Okay. The story of how you started calling God Papa. Yeah. Um, if you've read the book, The Shack. I have. Yeah. I've watched the movie. I didn't read the book. But. I've, got, I've got both. I give the book to everybody and I've seen the movie. I don't know. I've got my own copy. I don't know how many times I've seen it. And I cry every single time. I know what's coming and I still cry anyway because there's something in there, I think. There's truth in there that connects regardless of what your situation is and regardless what's going on. Um, that connected with me because I was raised really strict Baptist. So God was always this nasty guy in the sky that if you didn't do exactly what he said and you weren't doing exactly what he wanted you to do, he was slapped up there just beating the crap out of you. That was always my, uh, that was always my lens, the lens I was using to look at who God was. 
And as soon as I saw and read the book the first time, and I'm, uh, we go to a, uh, a grace type church. So it's not a denominational thing. It's a, there are lots of denominations in that congregation, but um, it's about, it's about love. It's not about, right. The, 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 anyway, it, it, I, I, when I saw the, read the book, I was like, that connected with me instantly. And I'm like, that's, that's the, the, the lens of Papa I want to use because that, that resonates with me. That makes sense to me. It always, there was a disconnect for me when people went well and read the Bible and go, okay, well, what does hell look like? There's heaven and hell. So we're, if we're all his children, why I've got kids. Why would I do that to my children? Why would I separate myself or try to set my, I can't separate them. If God's everywhere, then he's in both heaven and hell. There is no separation from him. You can't. If there's life, if there's life of any kind, and I'm talking human, tree, animals, what, it, not, obviously rock's not alive, but, it, right, but anything that's alive isn't alive or animated without Papa. He is the source of all of that. That means anybody that I would, would have looked at and gone, you know what, I don't agree with what they're doing, or I don't agree with their belief, or I don't agree with what they're, how they act, or what they've done to themselves in terms of peers, like, those are all judgment things. So the biggest, one, two of the biggest things I took away in the last year since I started to do the TGR stuff, the think and grow rich stuff, no more judgment and no more expectation because disappointment by definition is an unmet expectation. As soon as they take the expectation away, I can't be disappointed anymore. And if I don't judge, it's not about, I talked to a lady that's a few months ago now, but she, she said to me, I talked to her online, not on zoom, just in text. And she said, can you have a coffee with me? Okay. So we sat down to have coffee and j just as she starts, she goes, I have to tell you, um, I talk to dead people and I'm like, okay. And she goes, do you still want to talk to me? And I'm like, why would I not want to talk to you? And she said, well, most people discount everything I say after I say that to them. And I'm like, I'm not here to judge whether that's right or I'm human. I have an opinion, but my opinion doesn't mean anything in your journey. My opinion doesn't matter one squat. So am, it, is, is that, are you, maybe you're farther along in your journey than I am. Maybe it, 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 I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to just love you. And she burst into tears and she, no one talks to me like that. Like, no. And, and I think that, that human connection, that human peace. And that's where that, the Papa thing for me, as soon as I say that when I'm talking about stuff and I'll go, well, this is what happened. when I share the story, I talk about Papa and people are like, who the hell's Papa? Cause they're not used to that. They're used to a, you know, that type of a God. Yeah. absolutely right this angry nasty guy and so, so is that why you call like when i'm like curious because i i just i'm i'm fascinated with faith in the most beautiful way like i mm -hmm. love love just as much as you do and so yeah. i think it's so endearing that you call god papa but i was like was that something you picked up as a child after the shack like no, it's it just something that just seemed like you know it's that, a yeah that Exactly. Well, that resonated. And that was like, that's, that's the God I want to, that's somebody that I want to spend time with that. Not that God isn't someone I want to spend time with, but Papa has a completely different sound to it. It has a, who do you, who do we call Papa? Um, grandparents, grandfather, right? Like there's, there's an endearing, loving, warm, comfortable, safe place. Right. I found it really interesting spending some time with, um, Armin and, and Satish and Armin does uh, elite speakers Academy he does reborn. He does a bunch of stuff, but 
in those environments, I would give people hugs. And then one day, um, one of the people I had given a hug like that to, we were having lunch, uh, and, and I'm talking to the people at the table, and then someone puts their hands on my shoulders from behind and leans down and says, I need a papa hug. And I'm like, well, I had never called it that. And, and I didn't call, well, I guess at the time I must have called God Papa, but that wasn't something I had shared with any of them, right? So, but, but if that's what they, in, the, in those groups, the people that I'm closest to in those groups call me Papa Gord, or they want Papa hugs. That's what they're looking for, which, which resonates with me because I'm like, that's awesome. I think sometimes in a, I hate religion with a passion. Religion is man's finite brain trying to understand an infinite God without any, uh, we don't have all the pieces. I, we don't, ha we don't know what he looks like. We don't know what he, we don't have all those pieces yet. So a lot of it's by faith, right? The, the problem is um, with, with humans, we do a thing where my illustration is a toilet roll, right? You think of the, the all the paper's gone. You just have the roll. If you shine a light on, on one end, the reflection on the wall is a, is a circle. But if you turn the light and shine it sideways, it's a rectangle. Well, we don't know what the toilet roll is. They're just looking at the reflection and going, one person's going, it's a rectangle. And the other person's going, no, no, it's a circle. And no, you're an idiot. It's clearly a rectangle. No, no, it's clearly, a, and we do this. What, what, what the hell does it matter whether it's a rectangle or a circle? In the end, none of that matters. In the end, all that matters is that Papa is there and that he's, that's what matters. So the spiritual part of it is what, matters the relational part of it is what matters so when i take the judgment away and just love people all the bs goes away it doesn't matter whether they're all the things that we fight about as human it all just goes away and if i don't have i have expectation for myself which is probably wrong and they're probably too high because of who i am but uh but if i don't have them for other people they can't disappoint me right they, they're then you uh, with my kids all the time you, you take away the expectation that they're going to meet some kind of a, I want them to do this. You know what? They're going to be who they are. I, I'm not trying to change who they are. I'm trying to give them the tools they need so they can figure out who they are. Right. They, there's so many little facets to all of that. And, and so grateful to the story. I think it's beautiful. Like, I it's, think it's, it's thank you. like, I just, I knew there was something in the story and I, and so that's why I came back to it because this is called the own your intuitive podcast because faith is really like believing in something, the infinite possibility, the infinite source, God, right. universe, Papa, however we declare it exactly. personally is that we are all united in love, period. Absolutely. And, and so I want to come back to this beautiful mission of love because you're kind of the vessel of Papa to, to bring this message out Absolutely. into the world. And I, when did you decide to launch this, this definite major purpose? Because it sounds like it's been fairly newish and then- it is. Yeah, and now we're on like 2022 20, December. Let's do this. <laughs> it's it's been really weird. Um, it it took the prep though, right? As humans, what we want we're in such a instant gratification space, right? We want it, microwaves. We everything is now instant. Uh, Amazon, we're going to deliver it tomorrow morning. Like it just it's we're we're so tied into that. So the challenge becomes when I sow, I sow in one season, but then I have to water it and let the sun hit it and all that, right? That's a different season. 
and then I reap in a completely different season. The problem is we want to sow and uh, reap all in the same season. It doesn't work that way. So part of my, my connection to uh, Satish and, and some personal mentoring he's been doing with me where, where he kept saying to me, you're right on the cusp of your DMP. You're, you're definitely, it's right there. You, he said, I can't give it. I said, well, tell me what it is. Well, I can't tell you what it is. It's your, it's your definite major purpose. You have to figure that out. So again, he's giving me the tools to be able to figure the stuff out on my own, but he's encouraging and encouraging and encouraging. And it was probably um, two months, two and a half months. So it's only about 10 weeks, maybe, maybe that, that it sort of clicked. And I was like, crap, here, there it is. There, there, there it is. And so, but again, once I, but it took the prep of that. Satish has been working with me on that for the better part of a year and a little bit to try and get me to that space, right? And even after a lot of years of personal development, it still took me that long to get to that particular pace. And I don't think it's necessarily, people say, oh, change takes time. No, no, that's BS. Change is that. It's, it's instant. As soon as you make the decision in your head to change and go in another direction, you're going to pivot and go this way instead of this way. As soon as you make that decision, the change has already happened catching that actually manifesting in your life on the new, the new space and the new journey, the new direction that may take a year, six months, five years, whatever, just actually show up and manifest in your life. But the decision to actually do the change was done in a millisecond as soon as you made the decision. So, uh, so in when I, as soon as that decision, as soon as it clicked, boom, away it went. And, and I tend to be a little bit a type personality, not that you can tell any of that, but, uh, but I tend to be, I tend to be push, 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 push. I don't, I'm, I'm performance based. I'm that's, that's kind of who I am. So I get in my own way, way more than lots of other people. So almost 30 years of personal development can sound like a wonderful, good thing. And it can be, and it is, it can also be a detriment because you already have all the, you, you already think, you know, all the answers. You already think you have all the bits and pieces. And the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know, but then I want to learn. So then I go and push and push and push and try and find, right? So some people, can, can people do it faster than a year and a half, two years? Absolutely can, right? If they don't have some of that stuff getting in the way of some of those things and getting in their own way, right? I gave five, five sentences to my son, my middle son. He connects with me with personal development. And one day he came, he's always been the golden child. He's blonde hair, blue eyes, and everybody loves him. And he's done 100% on everything for, you know, until grade five, he was like, perfect on everything. And so he'd never had any, no, no challenges, no nothing. Right. Well, he came home and he was not happy. And I'm like, what's wrong? Well, math and French is really hard. He'd never experienced that before. So he wasn't happy. And so we talked about it a little bit and then he went away. And because I do a lot of personal development, I had a, something come up in my feed that was a, um, like a compilation of a bunch of different people and different things and whatever. And I listened to the first couple and I'm like, Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to modify these and give them to Zach. So Zach, Zach, come here, bring a paper and pen. And I want you to write these down. And I gave him five sentences and we talked about what those meant to him and how those impacted him. And what does that mean? And how does he use them and whatever? I was sick then I was still not well. So he came in the morning to, to hug me goodbye. And, and I was in bed and he gave me a hug and, and I said, so how are you going to do today? And he goes, Oh, you need, still need to talk to this, the teacher because that's what he said the night before. You need to call her at first nutrition break tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, what does she want? Well, I don't know. Okay, so in the morning, he's hugging me, and I said, well, how are you going to school today? And he goes, I'm going to go and kick Matt's butt. I'm like, you go, boy. So anyway, he ran off, right? I called his teacher, 
And she says, what did you do to that child last night? And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, the child that came in this morning was not the child I sent home last night. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, well, what did you do with him? And, and I, so I shared with her, you know, I gave him these five senses. We talked about them. He knows how they, and, and she's like, wow, do you mind sending them to me? Can you tell me what they are? I told her what they were. And she says, can you send those to me? I said, sure. So we laminated, a, we wrote them all out and did them nice and sent them into her. She said, do you understand what you're doing for him? I said, I think so. As his parent, I hope I understand what I'm doing for him. Uh, but she said, if, if parents could equip their children that way, it, it would make a complete difference. To, like, I would have a completely different class. Do we get to know what the five sentences are? Um, I, 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 can, I can share them. I can share them. Um, the first one is, I am the only problem I will ever have, and I am the solution. So I'm taking ownership of, right? It's, it's a choice I made to be in that position, right? It's a choice I can make to get out of that position, right? I am the only problem I will ever have, and I am the solution. He says the second one three times with emphasis in three different places. So I can make that happen. I can make that happen. I can make that happen. The third one is, I am a magnet. Whatever I put out is what I draw to myself. The fourth one is, I don't, know how, I don't have to know how. I just have to ask, believe, and receive. And the fifth one is, it all begins with how I choose to think. It's become a weird thing because my wife will look at me and go, it freaks me out. And I'm like, what? Because I'll hear his brothers, him and his brothers arguing or fighting, whatever. And I'm like, Zach, what number? from wherever in the house that I am. And you hear him, there's a pause and you can hear, you can almost hear the wheels turning, right? But he, there's a pause and then all of a sudden he's like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm having a tough day. I, you know, I just, I, I haven't connected myself properly. And I'm so sorry, it's, it's my bad, my bad. And my wife looks at me and goes, that's the most bizarre thing to me. Not only does he search through the five senses to figure out which one is appropriate, then he modifies his behavior without us saying anything to him. He modifies his behavior and, and he recognizes that that's the solution to the, to the challenge, right? Well, that is uh, what's going on. And he, a powerful he gift to actually give your son and also to the listeners that were just listening because those are very powerful statements. I feel like number four was Abraham Hicks. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> um, but <laughs> It could have been. It could have been. You know what? Like I say, it was a mash of a bunch of other people. Yeah. So I, I yeah. I'm like, but I knew one. I knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he says them to himself, looking into a mirror, first thing in the morning, last thing at night. And he's, he, and I, he said, why do I do that? Why am I looking at myself in the mirror? I said, because most people, and I would challenge people to try that, sit with the mirror and just look at it. Don't look away. Five minutes. Don't look away. Hold your, look at the mirror, look at yourself for five minutes. I bet you can't do it. Most people can't. At 30 seconds, they're already going crazy, right? Like we look at ourselves to shave and to put makeup on, whatever. We're not really looking at ourselves. Right. We're not really seeing into, you know, uh, and, and uh, go back to relationships that if I can't be happy and joyful and in love with me and be able to look at me that way, how the hell do I look at anybody else that way? How do I look at my children or my spouse or my boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, uh, good friends? I try and do that. It freaks people out because I'll hold their their eye. I'll hold the, gla the, the gaze. Right. And I just don't look away. And you get people that either look away or they get freaked out and go, hey, you need to break the eye contact because you're, you're looking into my soul. And I don't like that. 
right? That's the kind of the impression that it, it gives people. Yeah. Um, you do that with animals, right? That's in their world. In their world, that's dominance. So the first person, so I, you know, I've got a friend that has a cat and she goes, I, I don't understand why it won't, won't behave for me. And I looked at right in the face and he was looking right at me and I just didn't break his, his, I didn't break his gaze. I didn't break his gaze. I didn't, I just, we, I held his eye. I did. I didn't, I tried not to blink, but I didn't break the gaze. And then all of a sudden he looked down and I went up, oh, there it is. He, he loves when I show up and visit. And she goes, why does he do that with you? Like, I can't get it. Why does he do that with you? Cause I'm alpha. Uh, and, and in a relationship, it doesn't need to be alpha. They should both be alpha, but most people want to, no, no, I come subservient to whoever else, right? I can't hold that gaze. I don't want to hold that gaze. So there, you were like truth bomb and microphone drop guy, which is amazing. And I'm sure that there are loads and loads of people who want to get in touch with you about your mission because it is such a powerful mission. Or they even may be like, dude, this, this guy has got what I need. Like he is, he is holding the cards in the deck of life that I want to be playing. So, yeah. Gord, where do people reach out to you to get on board with helping, you know, these 10 million men learn the mechanisms so that they don't end up following the same path or even to work with you? Where would all of this information be? Absolutely. So the easiest way to get a hold of and my my one on one coaching practice started organically. Somebody reached out to me and then it just sort of went word of mouth. And now half my clients are professional athletes and. Anyway, the, the point is, I didn't, I didn't need a website because it was all just sort of happening. Um, now I start to get people that go, no, no, where's your website? I want to see your stuff. And I'm like, I don't have a website. So I'm in the process of developing that. But right. uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me is on my email, uh, which is Jewel. So J-E-W-I-L uh, dot coaching at gmail.com. So Jewel is the name of my, my coaching company. Um, Jewel is an acronym for Jandon, which is just my, the first three letters of my wife's name, Janessa, and the last three letters of my name, Gordon, is Jandon. So Jandon, but empowerment with intention, life coaching. I love so it. that's, so they, and I do, I've got clients all over the world. They can, but again, if they email to that, J-E-W-I-L dot coaching at gmail.com, that's the easiest way. Um, and then, and for, and the same thing for the, for the, uh, uh, I'm on all the different social medias and the box inside out is on Eventbrite. They can come if they're local to, to KW. I've been asked to do it in Toronto. I've been asked to do it in the U S so eventually that will come. And if you want to have us or have me come into wherever you are and do one in your town or your city or your, your area, I'm happy to do that. Um, again, that just helps push that, that get the, that voice out and, and, um, uh, there are women ones coming. Uh, there are, there is a women's workshop coming, but I had started, like I said, I started with the guys. So usually Amazing. the email, yeah, email is usually the easiest way. Yes. And this will all be in the show notes for everybody. Um, the other thing yeah. I want to say, Gord, is I always ask this one question and it may be the same as before and it may be something different. This is how I end because of who I am and what I stand for. If you actually see I'm wearing a shirt, this is book nerd. Okay. And so I always ask my guests if there is one book that had, and you can only choose one and it's whatever the first oh, thought is, man. one book that transformed your life in a big way. What would you share today with wow. listening? Wow, 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 wow. First answer is wow. the right answer, Gord. I, uh, there isn't a right answer. That's the problem. There's, I've read, I don't know, 
I know, but what is the first one that came to mind? Because that's the one for the listeners. There's, uh, there's two I know, that it's kind a hard of, question. It is. There's two that kind of go together for me. Okay. One is, is my Bible, obviously, is, yeah. is, is one good one. And no matter what your faith is, right? And whether you believe or don't believe, there's some really good stuff in there in terms of how to live life and whatnot. And, and Think and Grow Rich is the other one um, right at the moment. And they, they, weirdly enough, go hand in hand. There you go. <laughs> I just happen to have yeah. it beside Rock, me. Rock, right Rock, here. Thank you, Robert. There you go. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> That's the, the original 1937 uh, edition. But I've got it in my bag. I've got two or three of them here. Outwitting the Devil. And there's a bunch of them here that, that work. Right. Um, but yeah, the, because there's, there's, those principles are there. But in both of those books, the principles are not someone's thought up, uh, you know, man's idea. They're not man's idea of how to achieve or how to get ahead or how to make things work. That both those books are Papa's rules, right? I can say, you know what? I don't believe in gravity, but if I step off my roof, I'm going to go, right? Gravity is going to affect me whether I believe in it or not. The challenge and what the biggest thing I took away from one of the first meetings I had with Satish was these 17 principles are here that Papa's given us. He talks about in the, so if you go Bible side, he talks about living abundantly. Well, how do I do that? Well, if, if I read TGR, if I read Think and Go Rich, those 17 principles, if I master the 17 principles, I'll have abundant life, right? I mean, I can live in terms of abundant life. I can do, I can take that in a real spiritual sense and say, okay, well, abundant life could be, could be heaven. It could be my abundance in, 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 in Christ in terms of who I am and how I live. But on earth, practically speaking, when someone says, oh, you know, go and, go and make calls, what do I have to say? Well, I don't know. Just go make calls. Well, that's not helpful. I know I need to make calls. I need to know what am I, what's literally coming out of my mouth to make it effective on the call. I want practical. So TGR is the practical expression of my Bible. So the Bible gives me lots of good practical stuff. But in today's world, my, my TGR, my Think and Go Rich, gives me the, the, the ideas and the, the concepts in a tangible form, that I can, practical way, that I can exercise and, and make work. So I actually have, uh, before I leave that, I have, I had two, I expanded my, my practice a little bit. I have three openings currently that will come for some, come for serve for people that are, there's a real good deal on at the moment. But anyway, um, for people that want to, to plug in on a one-on-one type, type of idea. Perfect. And those that are listening, they'll know who they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lean into that in the most beautiful way. Thank exactly you so right. much, Gord, for sharing your no story, problem. your wisdom, all of the magic that is you today on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate, I really do, Tamara. It's, it's a pleasure to, to be able to speak with you and to, and to talk to your, not just to you, but to your listeners. Um, it's a, it's become very passionate. My, that, that definite major purpose has become so, it's just a burning thing inside me that it's a go, 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 go. I can feel it. And so I'm so grateful to be part of spreading the message. I appreciate that. And for everybody else listening, you know, to tune in next Friday for another incredible human doing incredible things. We all have a story and we all begin somewhere and it's just about taking those steps. Thank you so much for tuning in today.